Welcome to the Drunken Primarchs, the show where three geeks drink booze and talk about G-Dub's news. How's it going, boys? Not bad. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? Yeah, all good here. Good, good. So, new podcast that we're doing here, so let me uh, introduce myself first of all. My name's Zan. Uh, I'm a collector of most armies of 40k, uh, worryingly, at least if they have superhuman soldiers. I've been doing the hobby for now 20 years and uh, dropped in and out, but I, I enjoy the painting and building aspect of it and a little bit of the lore. And, uh, I'm joined today by, by David. Hi, I've been playing since second edition. Like Zan, have pretty much a force in, uh, in everything. And I like the, the crunchy bits, knowing the rules and, and how, uh, how all the different sub-rules work together. Thank you, David. And I'm also joined by Craig. Hi, um, I'm Craig. I've... Pretty much uh, came back into the hobby at the end of 7th edition. Didn't really play it when I first got into it about 22 years ago. I've just really enjoyed the building aspect of it. Not so much the painting, but also the the gameplay as well is one of my favourite aspects of this hobby. And like the others, I have many armies, mostly dabbling in chaos. I mean, you say dabbling. I, I think you said your entire force, didn't you? say so you could work it all together as an excuse to buy more. I mean, like you need an excuse in this hobby. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> Yes, the ability to mix together different factions together to make one large chaos force that's very flexible in what it can and can't do. Fantastic. Chaos suit with extra onions. I thought it was extra knights. Well, that too. So I, I know, David, you play a lot of Imperial suit with his Yeah, so started with salamanders, space marines, because green lizards can't lose, because I started off with lizard men in fantasy. Mm. And then expanded out from there into Inquisition, then onto Sisters of Battle, and then it just crept and crept and crept until now where I'm currently painting a Commander Farsight. Nice. Nice. Oh, I myself, I, I delve into uh, Death Watch, partly because I could pull my Ultramarines into Death Watch quite easily to bolster their force. Although at this precise moment in time, my Custodes force has just gained another five guys to it, which was not a trip to the shop today, honest. So how are you, how are you guys hyped for uh, for the ninth edition then? We've got the end of eighth coming up. We've got the, uh, the Psychic Awakening that's been bolstering everything up. How do you guys feel about that side of things? And and what do you think of Ninth? What are you looking forward to? So Psychic Awakening's been interesting. It, it came hot on the heels of Vigilus, and it almost feels like Vigilus was a dry run to see how people would settle into the idea of these expansions. And my, my main issue with Psychic Awakening is it invalidated or absorbed some of Vigilus, and so kind of made that pointless once this Chaos Second Codex came out and a lot of the Psychic Awakening expansions... And it just really typified that rules bloke that we've seen in 8th. Now, I love the fact that 8th edition has been built around this very live rule set where we can get balance updates much more quickly than you could in previous editions. But it's undeniable that we've ended up having to carry around a library in order to play a, a thorough game of 40k. So, so just going off the back of that then, do you feel that that is being put out by the company to potentially push us over to their e-publication side of things? Or do you think it's just that they needed something to fill the space and wanted to test things out and that's why they went for it? I wonder if Vigilus was a tester for that, this psychic awakening approach. So rather than doing iterative 
codexes like we saw with the new Space Marine and the new Chaos Codex, whether they could actually just keep the meta fresh by releasing these multi-faction books, which Vigilus were, and then that vanished and then we hit Psychic Awakening and see see these rules come out piecemeal. So I think it's a, a little bit of both that they're not necessarily wanting to push us down the EPUB route. I think physical books is where they're, they're clearly wanting to keep going with that, even though they are looking at bringing in the, the digital download code. That's really actually reinforcing saying we want to keep this physical. I but I do think that Psychic Awakening, it, it started a bit ho-hum with the uh, Drukari and Eldar, and then slowly we got some really decent books. Faith and Fury was good, for example. I quite like Greater Good, but then there's a lot of talk around Pariah not really having those promised rules that we wanted for Sisters and for Necrons, and it being a little bit of a cop-out saying, well, they've each got a character, so that's brand new rules, when other factions got substantially more support and obviously ninth is coming out soon but it's it doesn't it feels like it's tailed off a bit too much fair enough i mean my my kind of callback on the sisters is technically we got a codex during that time period which could be seen as them getting an entire book to themselves in psychic awakening the general you're right uh, i think that's a really good point because a lot of the psychic awakening books we we're seeing now will have already been written as that Sisters Codex was being fine-tuned from the beta one, just looking at the time frame. So I think that's a fair point, but I think maybe even keeping some of those Codex rules back in order to bulk up a Psychic Awakening they knew was coming would make it feel a bit more even-handed. Yeah, I've got to admit, it, it does feel very, um, I hate to say it, but cash-grabby, the latest book, the prior book. But I then have to reset my mind to the fact that obviously we've got this this devastating thing that's going on at the moment around the world, which I won't say the name of. But this book was probably meant to come out a month ago. So it's meant to be out a month ago and lead up to the announcement that we've had of ninth off the back of it. So I can sort of see why they've done what they've done with the book. It was meant to have a longer time period, not just a month of these new mission types. And then ninth edition comes in and eradicates what the book's for essentially but i'd I'd argue that if if there was a longer lead up after this book into ninth that would be even worse for especially necron players having to wait even longer before they get any new stratagems any new faction rules at all other than this one character but who's to say they haven't taken them out of the book to put in ninth edition now that it's so close because that the lead into to the books being printed etc is way longer than it that should must not be named um gives us no that's that's a fair enough comment that's fair enough look you know me i always come back on this with at least you're not a death watch player you know (laughs) at least at least they're getting a new character death watch got the space marine stratagems that's it like did you what was the point guys uh what was the actual point of giving us those just just tell us we're a space marine chapter with a supplement that's got our own bits in now that's you know I'll stop there, because otherwise I will run for the rest of the podcast on it. Craig, let's move over to you. What do you feel about the uh, the, the Psychic Awakening books and, and lead up into Ninth? I really like the format that they're doing. Um, I'm a big fan of the, the separate releases for the different factions, and each one getting, for me, the attention that each requires to actually make them a much more balanced, well, much more balanced forces. And the sort of release time, I think, has been sort of spot on with what they've done. It's given 
everyone enough time to look over the information that is out there and build their own lists to work around those new stratagems and rules in preparation for ninth edition. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll definitely agree with that. And the the look of getting more command points and stuff in ninth edition is is definitely a nice thing on the top of that. I think for some armies that's going to hamper what they can do. Because there will be some armies that use the whole Imperial Soup thing to get as many command points as they can. And with this, you'll probably see a more restrictive amount. But the fact that you're basically get command points, like a command point for free each round, which might equate to about five or six command points, will make a lot of other armies viable and we'll probably see a lot more of those being played. I mean, from the rules that I've seen from Ninth, I can tell that it's definitely they're out there to try and stop this idea of the the soup armies in tournament play which is fully understandable i mean you look at any of the big tournaments and it's normally some form of soup where a lot of guard are used to get command points you have a couple of smash captains and a knight backing them all up at least from the ones that i've seen so uh, from what i've seen a lot of the rules of ninth it's there to try and stop that it's the you can't play nicely with the rule set we gave you so we're going to make it more specific over what you can and can't do is the feeling that I'm getting from it. I think that's backed up by the wording of a lot of the rules we're seeing in the announcements that that need for complete clarity and specificity means that yeah. these rules that took up one or two sentences in 8th edition are being rewritten into several paragraphs, yeah. which is essentially saying the same thing but in, in much more dense and, and harder to parse language. I think it's going to be less accessible for brand new players who don't have someone there to talk through those rules and what they mean, because just looking at the dense cover rule, that's four <laughs> or five paragraphs just to say, if you've got, if you're closer than three inches away from this terrain, then you're in cover. Um, but only so I do have... There is about... uh, no full model out of cover that you can draw a line of over one millimeter thickness. I, I, like we're gonna have to start carrying rope, boys. I'm not being funny. Like a piece of string, measure it out for one mil thickness. That's gonna be, it's gonna be one of the new markers that we need. I mean, that's quite a low tech solution. You can just get the laser pointers that can be used for measuring that. I mean. You got to be high tech about it, then fine, fair enough. I mean, I'm I'm giving the affordable option here, mate. I'm sure that get those devices are affordable. Say that again, sorry, David. Get a load of pet ants, and each ant <laughs> is one millimeter wide. And if the ant can crawl between your models, then you uh, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's the the, the new rules are going to be. Are going to be fun to try and teach new players, like you say. I, I, I wonder if we're going to see something like the Warhammer Conquest style startup to play guides coming out, whether they be in the new ninth edition boxes, which I'm still not sure what we're actually getting for new players with that, whether they're just going to put the new rule book in the old box, because the, the new ninth edition box isn't a new starters box, it's for existing players from what they've said. So I, I wonder if they're going to step up the rules as they go. And then you have a chunk of them at the end that kind of go, okay, so this is what we do in disputes. Well, I'm sure in one of the boxes that we've got the, I think it's No No Fear, they actually have in there a, quite a detailed instructions as to how each stage of the battle, you know, runs. So this is your first movement. And then once you've moved all those units, this is the shooting, combat, morale, does all that sort of stuff. So could very well see one of those sort of things come out. 
if not the sort of quick rule guy that they had in the um, last, I think, Dark Imperium set. Yeah. I think releasing someone like that with images, rather than just like all words, words, images, would help a lot of new players adapt into this. But I don't think it would be as much of a problem for new players as it is going to be for old players who are remembering roles from 8th edition or 7th edition or whatever other edition. Because that's the biggest problem is trying to get over those old concepts as to how things used to work. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that statement. I, I still do it with the fly keyword. As David will attest to from many a game where I bring it up and he's like, no, 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 what are you on about? <laughs> that's the problem with a game that's going into its ninth iteration. Inevitably, if you've played more than a few of them, there's there's rules that you really like from previous iterations of the game that fall by the wayside and uh, your, your muscle memory almost remembers them, like Tank Shock being a big one from way back when, being able to just drive your tank into people and make them run away. It's a nice touch that's... But hey, you can now shoot them again, so that's good. That's true. At least those heavy bolters of war. Or mass uh, famous. <laughs> some of the new rules, I really do like the the fact that vehicles are no longer going to be bogged down by infantry. That's one of the big problems that I think a lot of the vehicles have had is they're great, but as soon as they get into combat, they become pretty much useless because you fall back, they can't shoot, someone else charges into them. That's it. There's, it's just points wastage, wastage there. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, I've, I've done it to yourself, haven't I, with your Lehman Russes? Yep, deliberately ran a five-man squad into it just to stop it shooting me and just disabling Pask essentially. And I've Absolutely done it with a land raider and a commissar. Um, a commissar ran into a land raider constantly um, <laughs> and kept it tied up for three turns. I think it's going to be interesting to to see the point shift in ninth. I think that's what underpins everything with the all the codexes not being invalidated with all of those special rules still kicking around. There's things like everything hits on sixes now, which was an orc special rule, which was built into their pointing, really. The fact that they could never miss or or never be a guaranteed miss means that now every other faction is picking up those rules. How is that being balanced into the points so orcs don't lose out on having that exclusivity? Looking at what was put out the other day about the the patrol detachments, they put in there a couple of different forces that were 25 power. Yeah. Some of the differences in points, one was initially 26 and the other one was 28. I believe the Gene Stealer one was originally 26 and the Chaos one was 28. So there's definitely a, a reduction in power levels, which would represent a reduction in point levels. The, the conflict with that is they've told us that over the, overall we're going to see a lot of point hikes. I imagine vehicles and monsters will go up because their efficiency with being able to shoot out of into combat and leave combat really boosts their their effectiveness. I think, uh, I think it's going to be a lot on the character side that we see the increases and things with multiple wounds like i believe they've already said that primaris are going up to to 12 point uh, sorry to 20 points for your intercessors from 16 so i think things that classes as more than one thing if that makes sense like for a wounds ruling i think we are going to see a point hike in them but your basic guys i think we're going to see a drop in them in general because they are what they're wanting you to get on the table because they're your basic foot soldiers yeah i mean that that, that whole point about uh 
Primaris is an interesting one because the new box set is quote-unquote killing off another few old-style Marines where the bikes are being superseded, the veterans are being superseded. You could argue maybe Devastators are being superseded now that we've got Hell Blasters and the new Melter weapons. I'll wait and see what the range is on the new Melters before I come to a conclusion on that one. True, but we've got when you take it in combination with eliminators and with hell blasters that heavy weapon support function is is there now in primaris armies where whereas when it was just hell blasters it really wasn't yeah and so i think in a way i just wish that games workshop would rip off the band-aid of that old marines and just legend status them and just rather than this creep from one to the other saying oh no your your old marines are fine keep using them and they're fine and meanwhile you know the boxes are going to online only you know scouts are there now as well i prefer knowing where i am with it yeah i i can get that i don't think in a general thing, it would go down very well. I think you get people burning your armies like they did when they uh, they scrapped fantasy battles entirely for AOS. I, I think yes. that would be the sort of response that would be derived from the the saltiest of gamers, which is probably why they're not doing. It. I think they they learned from eighth that if they are going to change like that, they need to do it progressively over time and make a thing that they are still viable in some way, shape, or form. I don't. Yeah think we would see original marines go legacy if i'm honest with you i think it's something that they'll make mail order only and i think that they will keep them around for quite some time yet not out of anything else other than they sell and a level of respect for them but i i see where you're coming from i i get that whole just sort of tell me straight doc am i going to lose the leg sort of situation with them exactly i think if they make the squads more diverse so you can do a tactical squad as it sounds now with primaris then I, I would fully agree that that is what they're doing. The fact the first one's tried to be Horace Heresy in the way they constructed the squads. I'm I'm not sure they're going to do that because I wonder whether they're, they're trying to rebalance the armies and give each army a more distinctive flavour or, or re-hone that distinctive flavour. And, and Space Marines very much became whatever you want. There's a Space Marine army that can fit it. Whereas I think that doctrinal sticking to a very rigid this is how we wage war is a is a nice i guess weakness for a space marine army to have that that idea that well if you're going to go bolt rifles they all need the same bolt rifles no you can't have a special weapon you have to take a squad to do that means that there's a reason not to take space marines now whereas historically there wasn't as much other than if you were bored by them okay I can, I can see that. So, like on the resource of that, then do you do you feel that they're trying to put that personality in with each of the different chapters instead? Do you reckon that's how they're going to try and do it, rather than you know you you've got a squad that can deal with close combat and a squad that can deal with ranged combat to its its maximum efficiency? Do, do you think that they're going to use the chapters instead as they have been, like looking at the the supplements that they've released so far? I think you're right. I think that um, it is the codexes that are giving the Space Marines that flavour now, um, rather than in previous editions where the flavour came from, well, this squad's going to have flame and missile launcher, this squad's going to actually go with uh, Melter Laz Cannon because it's going to be an anti-vehicle unit. They're pulling back from the squads being the flavour and moving to the the chapter being the flavour with the tactical doctrines. Okay. What what do you think, Craig? What's what's your chime in on this one, mate? 
Hmm. I think that they are going to miss out on a lot of things where they reduce the versatility of some of the Space Marine squads, as you've mentioned there. Uh, it may very well drive a few new players away from them to other armies that do have that versatility. You know, you've got a squad here that has both ranged and melee uh, capabilities, whereas with the Primaris Intercessors as it is, they're really good at range, wouldn't really put them in the close combat category, not without the uh, new assault marines. So, Which are troop choice, by the way. Uh, that's, well, I mean, that makes sense, because there's, it's not like they've got jump packs like the um, traditional assault marines, therefore they can't be fast attack. Uh, yeah. Which I think is one thing that they really do need. You know, you got the inceptors for your ranged fast attack, but they don't have any close combat capabilities, which is where I think a lot of the primary stuff is still seriously lacking. Uh, yeah. They seem to be, I'm going to stand here and shoot whilst you come towards me, rather than being capable, as the old Space Marines were, of being both close combat and ranged orientated. I think that is something they need to uh, definitely increase on. Yeah, I think to that as well, um, as Craig was talking about that kind of mono build squad, that works towards the speed of playing the game as well. If all 10 of your models all have auto bolters, you roll one batch of dice and you move on and roll one batch of wounds. Whereas if you've got one in there which has a plasma gun and one in there, which has a bolt pistol and one in there, which has a, a, a las cannon. Suddenly you're rolling seven of one dice, then you need to roll another few more. Then they've got different wound rolls and it explodes the amount of time you're spending on each squad in the shooting phase. Yeah, but so I wonder whether that is also a factor being built in. I mean, my, my retort on that is both of us have been playing the game long enough to remember the days when you just use different colored dice for different things. <laughs> Back in the old days, you used to what, have a black dice for your missile launcher, a red dice for your flamer. Nobody else had the white dice because those were the ones that you had most abundance on. So I, I think that's probably a good place to, to bring the discussion of moving over to, to ninth to a, an end uh, and, and where the Space Marines are going and, and all that side of things. So what, what have you boys been working on then? David, I've seen some nice pictures from your towel stuff. What What's going on there? So my focus at the moment is building up and painting up the eight from Farsight Enclaves. I've got them all modelled. I'm just I'm just putting, as we speak, the finishing touches on the Commander Farsight model, as I mentioned earlier. It's just a really nice army to paint. The Tau battle suits, really blocky colours, really clear distinction between the different segments of the armour makes painting it much more accessible than some of the other armies, such as maybe Orcs or Death Guard, where that change between armour and grime just needs a little bit more. Yeah, that's cool. How about you, Craig? What have you been working on, mate? Uh, So I started on a new Orc army, uh, mostly as an interest point because I don't own any Xenos forces so it's one of the areas that I was lacking but also just purely the amount of flesh that is available allows me to work on that painting style in preparation for painting some of the more detailed resin models I've got and I figured that Orcs was going to be a really good new force to go for ninth and it proves to be that it is going to be a good force but I do need more infantry <laughs> <laughs> 
always a key point for hooks. The more boys you have, the better you'll be. Yeah, I've only got 20 at the moment, which is nowhere near enough of what I need. But how do you only have 20 boys for an orc army? It's a small war. <laughs> it's not even a war. That's a what? <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. Those are on my to-do list, but I'm also trying to really think more in this particular force right from the get-go as to what I need and how it's going to work together. So most things have transport, which is one thing that I lacked in a few of my other forces was having enough transport for the basic troops. So once I work out where I want to go with that, I'll get maybe a battle wagon and put 20 boys in that so they'll be able to get right up close to the opponent or to the objective and be able to hold it. Cool, cool. I want you to go and how about what you're working on at the moment? Uh, so myself, I've been working on my Amazon Parade board, which is going to remain under wraps. But I've been putting down the polyfiller sand PVA mix for the mud that's going on there. Uh, and my custodies, which I've, as I said earlier, I've added five more to today. Gone for the sword and shield configuration because I didn't actually have any of those yet. I've made two of the forgeworld flying ones out of the standard kits with a couple of bits added to them from the Blood Angels uh, Sanguine Guard. And they're they're ready for painting. I got them all sprayed up gold just before this. So that was my evening sorted right there, I think. Get them finished up. Nice. What What is your stance on Forge World, on modding plastic models to, to represent Forge World versus the buying of Forge World? I, for example, have built a, a Vendetta gunship the uh, variant of the Valkyrie that's Forge World, but basically it's just a, a Valkyrie with a bunch of las cannons, and I used old sponsons from Land Raiders to to do it, which saves a fortune in cash, but is depriving Forge World of that, that income. Where where do you draw the line between do it yourself and supporting Forge World? So my general issue with Forge World is that they are. And I, I hate to say this because I love the company as a, as a general thing. Like, GW's my, my, my dig, baby. I love it. But I think Forge World is overpriced for its quality. Like, I shouldn't have to do the work I have to do on a Forge World resin model for the price I pay for it. I play other games outside of the general hobby, and they have resin models, and I have no issues with them at all. I, I personally, that's why I have done what I've done with the, um, the Vitari that I've made. I've made them from the plastic kit because it wasn't even that it's more cost effective for me. I think it cost me £5 more but it meant that I didn't have to work with the resin and I'm trying to work out how to make the custodian uh, graph tanks that they have as well for the exact same reason that I don't want to have to deal with that resin which is a shame because I love the models. Like the the sculpting and everything I would like to say is worth the cost alone. Obviously I don't feel that way because otherwise I'd go out and buy them. But I should be able to. Like it should make me want to buy it from that alone. But it's known what I have to deal with. Like I've built a fair few Forge World things and it just it riles my blood every time when I get something out and go, Oh, this is bent. Let me put it in the hot water. Oh, that hasn't fixed it. Then be told to do it four more times just to be sent out a replacement. It's like, just get it right in the first place, boys. You're a big company now. You're not small. But that's, again, something that you could get me ranting on forever an hour. Uh, so I'll, I'll draw the line there and go, Craig, what do you think, mate? <laughs> For me, it's, it's a mixture between the price point which in some regards is excessive, and it's also the rules for the models themselves. The 
price and the rules just don't balance out to make them justified for the for what you're paying out. I mean, for example, I bought the Kitan Ravager, uh, mm-hmm. the sort of corn. Let's call it Cornite Knight. And the resin parts of it, which were the legs, no problems at all. They went together really well. Obviously, a very simplistic part of it. But the Ravager itself is, I think, about the same points as one of these standard knights, which has a lot more going on for it and a lot more versatility. But it just it doesn't perform that well in combat to really justify that, uh, that expenditure. So once the new rules drop for Forge World, I may very well go and buy more Forge World products, so long as the rules are there to support that expenditure for me. Would you not I consider can... converting instead? Um, it very much depends on what detail I can put that GW can't in regards to... I could make a, I can make very, very basic models compared to the detail that they put into those Forge World casts to get those models. However, in some regards, you can also, on the flip side of that, add far more detail and a lot more character to your self-built models, like different poses that differentiate them on the table to another of the same model. I think that's a really good argument, the, that differentiation of the models in that if you buy a unit from Forge World, be it, let's go with something like Death Corps of Krieg, where there's only a limited number of sculpts that they have, whereas when you're building a Cajun or Catachin, when you're putting the arms, granted they need an update, but you can pose them how you want and you can make it so no two models are identical, whereas with those Forge World sculpts, you can't if you get a few units of them you're getting that uh, repetition which is you know no different than going back to second third edition monopose but i think that craig's point about that actual financial outgoing versus the the points represented on the the table is is a really good one not just with forge world itself but games workshop me and craig have had discussions about the um gorkonauts and morkonauts uh, and the fact that they cost the same as an as a stomper, which is twice the points. So, how can you financially be like, yeah, I'll drop that seventy five quid on something that's worth half the points of this thing? Yeah, I mean the the sort of Gorkonaut and Morkonaut, I find the points are so much well balanced for what you get as opposed to a stomper. The stomper's got firepower. Do not get me wrong. But the points, which is about 828 or something like that, I think wow. from the last chapter approved, makes it more expensive than a Castella Knight, which is, let's face it, more survivability and much more firepower. That, I think, can take output about 54 wounds from its Volcano Cannon. Um, I think the top end of a Stomper is about 18. Doesn't it also have more wounds, though, as well? No, the Stomper is a like a Lord of War, so it has about 40 wounds, which oh, is so significant. massively more. Yeah, it's significant. It's you know, it's not quite actually, no, it's probably about Warhound Titan level, but it's just it's a very expensive model and one that you'd struggle to put into most games. Whereas a Gorkonaut or Morkonaut, you're talking about 270 points, probably maximum. Mm which makes it a much more viable option. But it does have some of the lack of firepower that the Stomper does. The Stomper can also hold more troops in it, whereas the Gorkonaut can only hold six, uh, which, you know, isn't 
insignificant. You can put a lot of damage into that, but it's a points expenditure. You know, who who's going to be more annoyed? The player that has a Gorkanot that gets blown up or the person who's put 800 odd points into a Stomper that gets blown up on the first turn, you know? No, I think I think you make a good point that you're going to see more tabletop time with a Gorkanot or a Morkanot than you will do with a Stomper just because of the usual game sizes people play. I think it's just that when I'm hitting confirm and, and, and check out on that on that website, that that value for money feel just in the gut, I find it harder when when I'm I'm spending a lot of money on something that on the tabletop is not really worth that point those points. The the walkers from Admech, for example, there I think it's thirty-two pounds fifty for one model which is about a hundred points on the tabletop. And it's a, a massive investment financially for something which is is not packing that punch. And that when you're balancing out, when we're being realistic and bringing money into the hobby, you've got to decide, okay, if I'm going to be spending a budget of £100 overall, what units do I get that can be worth the most on the tabletop? Yeah, that, I mean, my, my retort on the, the stomper, at least, is that for for the points value, I, I think it would probably be worth it. I don't know how many character, uh, how many troops it carries, but as a, a, a defensive player against that, it would give me a, a definite choice of do I waste two turns potentially trying to get rid of its 40 wounds and hopefully blow up whatever's in it, or do I just leave it to walk across the table while I deal with everything else? I think that's what it offers you. In regards to the... Gorka Mork or the Gorka, the, the tiny one. <laughs> Gorknot Morknot. Thank you. Um, I'm assuming that there's fights over which one it is, you know, when it's built, uh, being as is Orc. I, I, I don't know. I, so, part, of it, part of it for me is taking into account the age of the model. Like that, whenever I make a decision on what I'm buying, that is something that always comes into my decision. Now, I know that the smaller one, uh, the Gorka Morknot, is newer than the the stomper. I also know that the stomper is hollow, whereas the Gorkamore, or, or I, I'm just going to call it naught from now on, I'll be honest with you boys, it is a newer model that isn't hollow, like, or not as hollow. Uh, whether it's worth 70 quid, probably not. Um, and I can see where you're coming from with the, the value of the purchase and all that sort of thing. But So, to sort of help with this one, the stomper can hold 20, 20 infantry. Uh, which is a significant amount for what it can do. But it, as you quite rightly pointed out, it does have to walk across the table and it doesn't take much to make that ineffective in both, both range and, you know, close combat. It's ranged attack, you know, it's a five plus. You take it down by 10 wounds, and that probably goes to a six plus. So it's really going to struggle, I think, to really make a much of a dent in any other army. Uh, the Gorkonaut, however, can only hold, as I said, about six. But the advantage of that is the one of the stratagems allows you to put it into a teleporter um, and just deploy it wherever you need it to on the field because of its power value. allows you to just manoeuvre it wherever it's re- required. And it has more time where it doesn't get shot up because you can get it into combat and it's going to be fairly effective there. But it's it's sort of apples and oranges with this one, really. It's it's what do you want that model to do? I mean, there's there's definite things I don't think are worth the money. I, the the price hikes on them, I think, have been extravagant to say the least. Um, I'm looking at the Land Raider variants that aren't the basic one, Corvus Blackstar, um, the General Space Marine box, like the old one. 
like the the models in that haven't changed for 15 years i think you referring to the start collecting box for space marines no no i'm referring to the bog standard tactical squad which i think yeah. has been increased to 3650 now so it I sounds like they're very much pricing those out of the game I think there's an extent to which the price hikes are to inform buying habits. I think Craig's probably on something there in regards to some of those things. The Land Raider, they're, they're clearly moving away from the Land Raider, which saddens me because it doesn't carry Primaris. They're moving away from the Tactical Marines. I think they're moving away from the Corvus Blackstar, though I do love the model. And I think that's a part of it. But also, I don't think we can deny that we're living in a world where we've got to think of the environmental impact of producing a load of plastic and pricing in both the cost of raw materials, but also the environmental impact cost early. I, I can agree with that, especially after having seen that like Games Workshop have put these solar panels on their roof. So their factory is pretty much self-sufficient now in regards to power. But I can't help but feel some of it is purely for keeping their stock price high, which will get me onto another rant that we won't go near. But I've, I've also just looked at the cost of a Storm Raven, 65 quid. Like that's a, what, 20 quid price hike from when it was first released 15 years ago, 12 years ago? Yeah. I mean, I remember so when the, I... That's... The release cost of the new... Add mech flyer, that's 60 quid new though. Storm Raven's a bulkier model. I think that there are some things that they could have done with price hiking progressively, but they do it in large shunts and at least they're signaling it to us ahead of time and they say these are going to go up in price, get them now. I can't dispute that, but I'd rather it was a month rather than two weeks. Because a month Fair. I can work that out for my next wage packet. I can go, oh, this is going up in price. I need to do overtime so I can make sure I can buy it. But this comes down to the age-old thing of is the price over, is the hobby overpriced? To which most people's response is you're in a hobby which is very much a luxury to be doing, and I fully get that and fully understand that, and I can see the viewpoint on it. That doesn't stop me feeling ripped off by it though. But this is a hobby where there are three hobbies in one. You've got the modelling, you've got the painting, you've got the playing. There aren't many other hobbies that, that give you that level of, you know, each one model that you have is hours of investable time in it, more so than a video game. So give you that. if you're willing to spend 3650 on a video game, then 3650 on tactical marines that will take you a few hours to assemble nicely, another five hours, 10 hours, whatever, to paint nicely and then give you hours of playing on the battlefield, that surpasses the time that you've invested in that video game. But we don't complain about the price of the video game. Well, funny you should say that, because... Let <laughs> <laughs> I me mean, guess, another rant that we shouldn't get you into. No, 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 I, I won't rant about this. It's the wrong place for that. Wrong place we're gonna for have that. To have a, we're going to have to like a, have a little segment or a little offshoot of what really grinds your gears. Just have you rant <laughs> for an hour. You know what really grinds my gears? Uh, <laughs> no it's um i i hear where you're coming from with it david I, I i really do and like i say i know that it's a luxury thing that we do 
I, I fully know that I'm in a very lucky position to be in the hobby the way I am and be able to spend the money that I do on the hobby. Um, I, I just, I don't agree with rising the price of old kits the way they do. It's the fact that nothing else has been put into them. I but think if, if they did something extra... It, it can be used to subsidise new kids. It's paying the wage for yeah. the people who, you know, design them in the past. It's a little bit like saying, I don't understand why after someone's made and released a movie, they don't, they still charge for the DVDs for it. You know, and DVDs can go up in price as well. So I don't necessarily buy that that logic just because it's an old kit there's still an inherent cost to producing it and a company that's managing to grow as much as games workshop has that need for continued and further investment no i can i I, all right you've given me a new viewpoint there that i didn't have i i didn't think of the investment in the new kits and supporting the kits that don't do as well as others um no, I'll I'll accept that as a viewpoint on it. I I will. Um, we can I, all grow as humans. We can, we can, and that's that's something that the world needs to learn. I think. Um, <laughs> but again, that's another rant. Uh, <laughs> that's going to become my catchphrase, isn't it? Yes. 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 Let's put uh, that aside. Yeah, yeah. Just just once per episode. Once per episode. Um, <laughs> No, like I say, I I can fully see your viewpoint on that, and and I can accept that as a, a viewpoint on it. Um, supporting the the kits that aren't doing very well, paying for newer kits, yeah, I can I can get behind that, I suppose. It's um, how are you finding? I know we're not giving the name, but in our current situation, our hobby. Even though I've said that the kits are like three in one modeling, painting, gaming, we've lost an entire third of the hobby for coming on three months now. How does it how do you feel about that? How are you coping with that? And what what are you looking forward to the most when getting back into that gaming side? So it's actually put me off buying things, if I'm honest with you. Like I haven't bought any more of my sister's stuff. Um I've bought some custodies uh, purely to fill in gaps that I had that I know I needed filling and to do those forward world models that the new rule set will work really nice with, um, including those within the, the Psychic Awakening books. But in general terms, um, it's it's actually put me off things because I can't play test them. Um, mm. And, you know, it's all right saying we'll use an online source, but that involves two people spending money on that and not everybody's willing to invest. Um, I am looking forward to playing games again. I, I know one of our local stores is looking at booking tables so they can have in their space once um, once restaurants are open back up, they've worked out that they can have four tables active in that space. So I am looking forward to being able to, to contact you guys and say, look, if we go down, we wear some masks, we sanitize our hands, step back from the board, keep you two meters in place. I am looking forward to playing a game. Massively looking forward to playing a game. Which aspect of the game are you most looking forward to? The tactics, the social aspect, the trying new things out. You mentioned the playtesting, the uh, 
the characters and things. I mean, it's it's a combination of all of them, to be honest with you. I, I play the game a lot for the social interaction with people. Um, that's something that I've missed over this entire thing has been my, my social interactions with people. Um, so I'm, that's probably what I'm looking forward to most, that and the ability to, to throw out stratagems on my guys and just see what they can do. Like, see what's changed about my playstyle with them because of the new rules that are in place just from the Psychic Awakening. How about you, Craig? So, hmm. I mean, I'm I'm very much looking forward, as Zan pointed out, using the new options that we now have within the Psychic Awakening with the new forces that I've got. But I've also utilised this time quite effectively to just finish those projects that I never found the time for. I have nothing else really to do on a day whilst the unspeakable is happening. So why not utilise that time constructively to build up those forces that you've had at the back of a cupboard for five years and haven't built up? Um, finish uh, the, painting your armies. The pile of potential. Yeah, yeah, pile exactly. Game, let's be honest. No, it's, it's the pile of potential. I have to put a happy spin on this. I've spent far too much gold on that pile. <laughs> but it's it's been a, I imagine it's been a great opportunity in some regards for people to, as I say, just look at the stuff that you've got, build up and paint what you have, and as you said, maybe try and find new ways of using the old models. You might have some that you've not quite finished building. You can now spend more time sculpting parts onto them, really looking at the rules, ready for demolishing your opponents in that final game once you all get released. Um <laughs> Because also I'm a bit feral, but there you go. But no, it's it, I am very much looking forward to the the actual battles and the new um, uh, scenarios that they've built into the Psychic Awakening books. I think I'm going to add a lot more interest to the game. Yeah, I think I'm I'm looking forward to the social aspect mainly. That's something that I've missed because sitting around and down for an afternoon or standing around a table for an afternoon and playing while chatting is something that I have missed. But definitely one of one of my favourite parts, if not the favourite part I have in the hobby, is finding those um, broken tactics, those combos, those getting... The, if you get this unit into this position and use this, this and this, um, like in a, a fighting video game, like in a a street fighter or a tech and putting together that perfect combo and that satisfaction of it and so i've been doing a lot of theory crafting of different possibilities with the different armies and i'm really looking forward to see whether they are feasible in person at least the once see it's players like you that's the reason we have these very wordy new rules <laughs> <laughs> it's your fault david it's your fault true but no, I um, I'm, I'm I'm glad that we're all looking forward to getting some games in. I did think uh, of a Kickstarter to do. Essentially, you get two brooms, you put the little paddles on the end of the brooms, and uh, did you guys ever have the original Game Boys? No, I did not. How about you, David? Yes, but I'm concerned where this is going. Do you remember the really dodgy magnifiers that you used to be able to get from Poundland for them? Yes. 
right? You get two ginormous versions of those and set it up with a mirror behind it. So you roll dice into a box and then it reflects out over this magnifier so your opponent can see the dice. So you put everybody on movement trays and you just push them over the battlefield like World War II style with these long sticks and then roll your dice in these boxes so you can stay socially distant while playing together. That's possibly the most depressing idea I've heard this week. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't expecting that response, I'll be honest with you. I was expecting a, what is wrong with you, but not depressing. Come on. If we get to the point where we have to use magnifying glasses to decide what dice have been rolled, then I think that... Well, no, it's, it's only because you've got to show them over a two-metre distance. <laughs> So your opponent can see them as well. That's all. That's all. <laughs> hey. So with all that being said, I think that's a, a good point to bring this session to an end. So thank you for listening to the Drunken Pride Marks. Uh, I've been Zan. I've been David. And I've been Craig. Uh, we've been drinking and you've been listening. Speak to you next time. War is our business now. For every tear not shed. And every grave not dug, there's a dollar left unspent. This was a Drunken Primark production. Opening and closing music was provided by Punk Rock Opera. Thank you for listening. <laughs>